Oh, hi. I'm your host, Kyle Brownrigg, and welcome to Best Actress, discussing Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress Oscar wins, who we feel should have won, and why. Here are the nominees for performance by an actress in a leading role. Cynthia Erivo, Harriet, Scarlett Johansson, Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan, Little Women, Charlize Theron, Bombshell, Renee Zellweger, Judy. And the Oscar goes to Renee Zellweger. Hello and welcome to another episode of Best Actress. Today we're going to be talking about the 2020 Oscar ceremony year win for Renee Zellweger for the movie Judy. Uh, We uh, previously did an episode of uh, A Star is Born, Judy Garland being robbed. So this is kind of interesting to talk about Renee Zellweger um, doing uh the role of judy garland again and i really enjoyed watching it and revisiting it knowing more about her so i think this will be like a really fun episode for you guys and also the last time that i spoke about renee zellweger i was (laughs) attacked online by the renaissance renee zellweger fan club so hopefully you know maybe we might redeem ourselves to the renaissance um my guest today is a guest that was previously on the show um she really wanted to do brenda fricker i'm sorry we already did this episode uh she has a comedy album that came out called magically malicious it's fiona o'brien hi fiona hi kyle how are you i am so happy that you are here for this and i just want to ask before we get into this why did you choose i know that you wanted the brenda fricker year i'm sorry that we already did it but why did you choose this year and this episode I chose this year because last time you had me on, um, the year that you chose fucking aged me about 10 years. <laughs> Ooh, the Diane Keaton year. Holy Oof. shit. It was traumatizing having to it watch was. all those films. <laughs> I definitely would have to agree with you. I really liked the movie The Turning Point with Shirley MacLaine and um, Anne Bancroft, but wow, that is so loud. I'm sorry, I'm going to turn my phone on to Do Not Disturb. Uh, I loved The Turning Point with Anne Bancroft and with Shirley MacLaine, but other than that, yeah, all those movies. Also, Baryshnikov's, like, legs in the, like, those those little tights and tights. stuff like that, like haunt my dreams. I, <laughs> I have wiped the movies from my memory. It's the only way I can survive. Yeah, I think that's that's completely fair. So um, 2020. So Best Picture went to the movie Parasite. Best Actor went to Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. Best Supporting Actor went to Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Love that movie. Best Supporting Actress went to Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Best Director went to Bong joon Ho for Parasite. And before we continue on with this episode, I do need to correct a mistake that I made in episode 37. I said that Alejandro Gonzalez in Yuritu uh, was criticized uh, for winning his second Best Director Oscar so soon for the movie Gravity. I'm an idiot. What I meant to say was the movie Birdman. And thank you very much to the uh, Twitter follower that corrected that mistake for me. <laughs> the director, and I know that this is the director of the movie Gravity, is Alfonso Curran, and he also uh, won for Roma. And um, I just want anybody listening to this to know, please... Um, 
I really know nothing about movies and I do not pretend to. This is just an entertainment podcast. It's silly. Please, if I do make a mistake, do let me know. I will correct it because I do want to be thorough. But please, like, don't you know, this is not an academic review. I've said this so many times on my podcast. It's this is just an entertainment for poops and giggles done by some comedians. So just, you know, like lower your standards, like lower your expectations. <laughs> I will be making mistakes. Um, okay. So uh, before we get into it, how, how are you, Fiona? Like, how's, how's it going? I'm good. I, I'm uh, hopeful that uh, we will be getting back to some sort of normality. And I'm happy we're out doing some more comedy gigs and and I'm fine the kids are all going back to school in two weeks thank fucking you're like God. counting down the days <laughs> yes. yes yes I am oh well I'm we're doing a show together on Friday Al Val show um so we'll see each other on Friday so we'll be seeing each other a lot this week great um okay so let's talk about our first nominee and this is in no particular order and not because uh, she's also Irish, but this was the first movie that I watched. Let's talk about Saoirse Ronan in the movie Little Women. So this is a very star-studded cast. You have um, Emma Watson. You have um, uh, uh, Florence Pugh. You have Meryl Streep. You have Lawrence, uh, uh, Laura Dern. You have Chris Cooper. You have Timothy Chalamet. Um I have seen this movie before, but the last time I watched it, I got about 30 minutes in. And this time, though, I actually did pay attention to it. Um, I've seen the Winona Ryder version before with Susan Sarandon. And I know that she was previously nominated for Best Performance by an Actress in a Leading Role for that as well. Um, I love Saoirse Ronan. Anybody listening to this podcast knows how much I adore her. Um, What did you think about this movie? I hadn't seen this version because I thought it was going to bore me to death. Um, <laughs> even though, and they have a star-studded cast because Jesus Christ, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're reinventing. Makes it an easier sell. Exactly. We're yeah. reinventing the wheel. And um, I avoided it. And I remember mm-hmm. seeing it years ago. And I was bored then too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I sat down to watch this and I was like, do I need wine? Do I need an edible yeah, no, I'll do. I'll go. I'll go. Uh, bareback and do it. Uh, justice. <laughs> and I enjoy. I actually enjoyed it. Yeah. No, I did too. So this is good because the last time we only enjoyed, or I only enjoyed one of the five. So so far we're one, one for one. <laughs> yes. And so Saoirse Ronan in this movie is uh, the lead. She's the main character. She's this super talented, brilliant, smart writer who don't need no man. But she does need a bath. I will say that she is very gnarly in this movie. Um, And I mean, how do you describe because there's so much going on in this movie. Um, She is mostly career oriented, focused on her writing and trying to support her family. And she doesn't believe that this is during a time during the 19th century where you know, a woman had to get married and this was her role in society. Uh, by the way, Florence Pugh in this movie was also nominated for a supporting role and she deserved that nomination because uh, she was incredible in this movie too. And I I loved that uh, monologue that she had about how she has to get married and how it's economical and how she has no choice because she can't support herself and how it's a business transaction and that whole Um, monologue was actually suggested by Meryl Streep. It wasn't even written into the script. And that was her like Oscar reel. So I find that very Florence Pugh, I think has, she was in black widow, you know, she was in, um, what was that? 
I didn't care for it, but what was that? Uh, oh, Midsummer. You know, she's she's just like her star is really really growing and stuff like that. She, but everybody had their own story. You know, Emma Watson was um, uh, <laughs> she married down. <laughs> she married the tutor, you know, and then she was kind of poor. But then Saoirse Ronan ends up being super rich because Meryl Streep, her rich aunt, leaves her everything, and so there, there's a lot going on in this movie. But the whole point is that they become independent uh women on their own but in different ways during a time when women didn't have a lot of rights i mean it's it's hard to describe exactly what this movie is about because there's just a lot um, yeah going on well it reminded me of my mother and all her sisters yeah, right. <laughs> where they all had to marry a man who was going to look after them because they were all fucking useless and had yeah. no skills so this is like this shit goes on in Ireland now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So basically, Ireland is like the 19th century. I I, yeah. I see that journey. Um, I definitely think that Saoirse Ronan was the right choice for this movie. She carries the picture well. I think that her American accent was was good. I wouldn't say it was great. I would say Florence Pugh did a much better. Because isn't Florence Pugh, like, British or, like... I don't know. Something? I need to, like, look this up because I know that someone's going to be... <laughs> someone's well, gonna you're going to get in me. trouble. Uh, nationality. She is... Yeah, she's British. Okay. Um, so, no, she, I think that she did a much better accent than Sersha. But Sersha also did a good accent, too. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think the most unrealistic thing about this movie is having so many women living in one house, sharing one bathroom, and they all liked each other. Yes. Um, that was that was unreal. They were just a little too happy for me, considering there's only one can. Yeah, um, and there was no PMS and no blood. <laughs> um. You know, Saoirse Ronan's character, she has her pride. She is flawed and she's honest about her flaws. She cannot take criticism about her writing. Although, to be fair, the French guy that was like criticizing her writing was kind of an asshole about it. He's like, this is awful. Um, and, you know, really Saoirse Ronan in this movie is uh, obviously when this book was was written. It's like she kind of was feminist before feminism was a thing. Yeah. Yeah. And... Overall, like, I really enjoyed her in this movie. I really thought that she was the right choice. She actually sent an email to Greta Gerwig, the writer and director, just saying, because she had just done Lady Bird with her, and she basically was just like, I am going to play Joe, the lead character named Joe. And Greta Gerwig thought that that was such a Joe thing to do, so that's why she cast her. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so there's like a lot of things that are kind of going on in this movie that I kind of thought were interesting. Um, Timothy Chalamet is like a complete asshole uh, in this movie. He ends up marrying Florence Pugh. Um, but I kind of enjoyed his relationship with Saoirse Ronan, though, frankly, I think it's kind of tacky to like go for Saoirse Ronan and be like, marry me. And then like, she's like, no. And then you go for her sister. Like, that's. Yeah, that important. was that was gr- that was gross. He's a knacker. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so what did, what did you think about Saoirse Ronan in this? I thought she was great. I also think she is a fabulous actress and she seems to be able to play anything. She's like mm-hmm. any role I've seen her in, I am immediately drawn into the role and the journey. And I forget that she's Saoirse Ronan, which is exactly what's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really enjoyed her. Um, and I thought her character was fabulous. And 
and her character, uh, you know, as and I made notes like you do, like can't take the criticism, is very independent, wants to carve out an independent women's woman's life, not the stereotypical at that time. Um, and I just thought she was perfect. Like I really thought she was great in this. It is interesting because Sir Sharonin, like, you know, she played in that movie Hannah with um yeah. with uh Kate Blanchett. And she is, I mean, in that, I can't even, for, in my head, that's not Saoirse Ronan. And then she was in Brooklyn, and then she was in Lady Bird. And, um, you know, honestly, I think that her American accent was actually better in Lady Bird than it was in uh, in Little Women. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being too too critical. But, um, you know, I, I think that Saoirse Ronan is sort of good at doing that thing where she can have unlikable qualities but still come off as likable like you're still rooting for her yes absolutely I thought she's great she's a great character actress i do think though that in terms of the story there was a little bit too much crammed into the movie um that they really should have just like let some things breathe like whenever beth the sister that played the piano a lot whenever she died I did not care. Like I had <laughs> zero attachment to her character. I actually felt worse for Chris Cooper, the rich neighbor that gave her the piano. I felt worse for Chris Cooper because it was like he had lost a daughter before. Yeah. And then when she died, you're like, okay, like I can see why this would be like, would this would be sad for you. I felt upset for him. I truly did not care that Beth died. And it was just sort of like, maybe because like their happiness is so unrealistic maybe well beth kind of i don't think they gave her character enough time like you're saying agreed they didn't yeah. focus on her a lot it was kind of she's lovely we all love her uh she's gonna die you know it was i just remember being in the other movies i remember being a bit more dramatic when beth dies um mm. and as for mr lawrence this is my one issue with little women as a mother <laughs> There is no way in hell I would let my teenage daughter run across a field and be alone in a mansion with a pervy old man playing his piano. <laughs> right? That has got oh, yeah. pedophilia written all over it. And like oh, but... she, she's playing the piano <laughs> and he comes and sits on the stairs. What they don't show you is he's probably having a wank on the stairs while she's in there. <laughs> I just was not happy with that. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like when he was on the stairs, I kind of thought that was the vibe. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I was like, where's Chris Hansen when you need him? Um, but literally, like, uh, I don't disagree with you. I kind of got that same vibe too. But like at the same time, I guess like historically speaking, yeah. I think that like a 14-year-old girl and like, you know, like... Uh, like I don't know, like a sixty, seventy-year-old man. He was like a bachelor. Like he was available. Like yeah. he was a catch. Um, yeah. which is really gross. Yeah. So I was thinking like that, but I'm thinking with my head in 2021, and immediately going, that wouldn't be happening. I don't yeah. care if he has a fucking piano. <laughs> like yeah, go hang out with the rich, lonely, old, gross man. Like that sounds. There's no red flags there. <laughs> Um, although I would say that another thing that I was also kind of picking up on is I feel like if Little Women was written in like 2020, I feel like Sir Sharonin's character, um, Joe, well, for perfect example, Joe, that's a very tomboy name, Joe, um, you're getting ma major gay vibes from her, right? Like you're kind of getting like a queer narrative of her story where she's like, I don't need a man. I don't need to be married. I mean, you can say that that's feminist or whatever. And I know that in the end, she's like forced to have like a happy ending and get married to the French guy. but 
you know, she says this line where she says, I care more to be loved. Um, but that's not loving. I'm so sick that I'm so sick and tired of the fact that women, um, are to just fall in love. I'm so sick of it. I'm so lonely. And it's like, she doesn't understand the love that the world is saying that she has to have. So you're kind of like, okay, well that's, you know, kind of a bit of a queer narrative. Cause like you don't, under or maybe, you know, she's asexual or mm -hmm. demisexual or, you know, there's something that like in modern times, her character would probably be a little queer or like a little, a little gay. Um, yeah. Because it, or at least that's how I sort of interpreted it. I totally agree with you. If if she had had the options that are available to people today, she would totally have been queer. Yeah. <laughs> I just picture her like there's like one gay bar in the city and then she's like, oh, what's this? And then the movie just takes a total left turn. And then <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> that would be, that would be great. Um, uh, uh, funny, funny parts. Um, I loved whenever uh, she cuts off her hair to sell it to make money, you know, for, um, her sister. And then she's like, it's fine. I'm like, so okay with it. And then the next scene, she's like crying and they're yeah. like, you know, I, I, I think that there's nice little moments of comedy in there. Um, when Florence Pugh like burns her novel, shit yes. gets real. Yes. I think Sersha brought a lot of real acting to that scene. Um, whenever they're skating and she has to save Florence Pugh from the water and stuff like that. Actually almost like, I thought Florence, whenever she comes out of the water and she's terrified, I thought she Florence acted that scene so well because I actually like almost cried the way she was so vulnerable and sad and scared. It was very real. Yeah. Well, I, I was watching that scene and the note I wrote was, I'd have let her drown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was she was a little annoying, a little a little bit. Yeah, you, you warm up to her at the end of the movie, but she was a gee bag. Well, that's Irish. For, she was a bitch. A gee bag. What's a gee bag? A Tell gee me about gee bag. Okay, so, so it, it's like you used to say douchebag or Americans would say douchebag. Right. In Ireland, it's a gee bag. A gee bag. <laughs> is it the same thing? Like a douche? Like is a gee in Ireland? So a gee is your vagina. Oh, okay. So a, a bag of vagina. Well, yeah. people say bag of dicks, so that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, Ireland's bag of vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so let's. Do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? Just that I thought that she was excellent, um, and I thought she deserved to be um, put forward for an Oscar nomination. I think so too. I think yeah. I think that where she really shines in this movie is just sort of being this unlikable person in unlikable moments, but still being charming. Yes. I think that's kind of like her gift. Yeah. I thought she was great. Great. Okay. So let's talk about our next nominee. Let's talk about um, Cynthia Erivo in the movie Harriet. So the, I had never seen this movie. So it is a, I mean, inspired by true events, sort of biopic a movie of Harriet Tubman. And Cynthia Erivo plays Harriet Tubman. And I... I'm not that familiar with American history, um, but I obviously learned a lot about this movie. I read a lot about it after online about things that were accurate and things that were inaccurate about um, Harriet Tubman's true experience and her life and stuff like that. She really was a hero. She really did save um, many people from slavery and she really did travel like a hundred miles. And 
Uh, she did lead an armed, um, you know, uh, battalion. Uh, she There were a lot of things that were accurate, but apparently uh, there were also a lot of things that were inaccurate about this movie. However, I do have to, because that was one of the big complaints about this movie, but I really just got to say, when you're watching a movie, do you think that it is like an encyclopedic account? Yeah. Like, a, you're, it's a movie. Like, of yeah. course things are going to be sensationalized and made up. Like, grow up. It's not a, docu- <laughs> it's not a documentary. Yeah. Exactly. 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 I find that I find that is so infuriating about people. It's like, yeah, it's a movie. Like, what the fuck did you think it was going to be? Obviously, things are going to be embellished and made up. And some characters are are going to be completely fabricated as a device. So, for example, in the movie um, Bombshell, Margot Robbie's character isn't real. That was just she was just used as a device. Yeah. Anyway, we'll we'll get into that. But um, Cynthia, so this was the only movie in the list that I hadn't really seen before. Um, Cynthia Erivo is uh, not a stranger to the entertainment industry. Leading up to this Oscar nomination, she had already won a Tony, a Grammy, and an Emmy for The Color Purple musical on Broadway. So if she would have gotten an Oscar because she was nominated for Best Original Song for the song called Stand Up with um, Joshua Brian Campbell... Uh, if she would have won that, she would be EGOT, which is Emmy, Grammy, yeah. Oscar, Tony. And that <laughs> would be crazy. Um, I'm sad that she didn't get it, but she was nominated for Best Lead Actress and for um, Best Original Song. And she would have been the first actress to have this honor in the same year. But the person that beat her to it the year before was Lady Gaga. Oh. Yeah, she won for the song Shallow. Anyway, um, so let's talk about this movie. So what did you think about the movie Harriet? Uh, I enjoyed it. It was tough going. I had seen it before mm-hmm. because my kids were studying the Underground Railroad mm-hmm. um, in school doing history. And so they, had, I had heard about Harriet Tubman. They were talking coming home from school and they were talking about Harriet Tubman. Each child, each year, and they're fascinated by the story. Um, And so I had been hearing about her. I'd be hearing the story. So when the movie came out, they were all incredibly excited to watch it. Um, I think uh, two of them left and only one lasted with me watching it. (laughs) So so I watched it myself again for you. Um, And it's a great (laughs) movie, but I do, I don't think it's amazing. I mean, obviously Harriet Tubman, the actual person in history was amazing. And Mm. I think Cynthia did the best she could do with the role. I mm-hmm. felt, I don't know, I felt there was something lacking somewhere within the movie. Budget. I think it was budget. Okay. Because there were just a lot of close-up shots, a lot of like minimal sets, yeah. a lot of, um, there would be one extravagant scene of Philadelphia where it was like you saw like the old sort of, uh, you know, 19th century wear and the Victorian and the blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, you know, this is very fancy but that would be very few and far between i think that the budget was mostly in the costume you would see a farm sometimes a lot of forest scenes you know and um whenever you're i i felt like i was watching a canadian production you know what i'm saying i felt like that too i was just like yeah i and i was exhausted from watching her running through fields for the whole movie (laughs) she yeah, there was a lot of... She got some cardio in, for sure. I swear to God, she if she had her Fitbit on her, she must have gotten in <laughs> 40,000 steps a day. Um, so 
I would definitely say it was one of the most compelling performances and stories of all of the movies um, this year. Yeah. Um, I do think, though, that I do agree with you that it... I actually... I, I Yeah, like, I just kind of thought there was some element of the movie that was kind of missing, you know? Like, so yeah. the the slave owner's son there... Uh, that's that's Taylor Swift's boyfriend. I mean, those two things aren't connected, but maybe. And um, I don't know. But anyway, he, so he was kind of basically made up. Like that slave owner did have a son, but like yeah. he wasn't that person. Um, so a lot of those things were kind of fabricated. Um, also, I didn't know that um, Harriet Tubman had a lot of like Joan of Arc powers where she like, you know, was getting visions from God and apparently her, the real Harriet Tubman, she had gotten a physical trauma on her head from a two pound weight. And as a result, it caused brain damage uh, allegedly. And most historians believe that it was some form of epilepsy or some sort of a mental fit. Um, so she did actually experience these, these visions, but yeah. um, a lot of people believed that it was most likely due to a head trauma. Yeah, she, well, I mean, the premonitions and God was leading her, and and I and I loved all of that. I thought, I mean, I mean, he could have given her more time. It was literally she sees something happen. It's like two seconds later, it was happening. You know? Right. Um, right. But yeah, I I was fascinated by all of that. I think Cynthia was great in the role, um, and I I just feel like the movie, the first kind of forty five minutes. It was building, 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 and then it just yeah. kind of flatlined for me. Because it, I think it's because it was just a lot of the same, where it would just sort of be like, okay, now I'm going back, and then I'm going to get some slaves, and then we're going to get them safe, and then I'm going to go back, and then I'm going to get some slaves, and then we're going to get them safe, and then I'm going to go back. Like it, it yeah. was a lot of repetition, and um, you know, that's that's really more of like a writing, directing kind of thing. Um, but I do think that uh, emotionally she carried the picture very well. So whenever she runs away for the first time, after you see just sort of a brief example at the beginning of how fucked up things were, um, you really see how conflicted she is because she knows that she's about to leave everything and everyone behind. But she knows that she has to do it. And you can see how hard this decision is for her. I think that... Um, you know, uh, you know, it, it's difficult whenever uh, she gets to Pennsylvania and a, a year has passed and uh, she still hasn't heard from her family. And you see how hard that is um, for her. It's very similar to, um, you know, in the movie Brooklyn, whenever she I mean, not not similar, but like a, a it's comparable in the sense where, you know, Sir Sharon and she hasn't heard from her family whenever she moves over to Brooklyn and she's so lonely and she's so depressed and stuff like that. And she has to make a new life for herself. Mm -hmm. And you can see that that's a very difficult also. Um, um, uh, oh, what is her name? I always forget her name. She was sort of like the house mother. Janelle Monet. Uh, Janelle Monet, thank you. She was not real. She was a made-up character okay. as well. Yeah. So she was put in there just for a bit of razzmatazz, just to look good? I think it was more sort of to represent that this person probably did exist and did help her. Okay, yeah. She must I'll have had other help, yeah. And um, I like some of her lines, you know. She's like, don't tell me what I can't do. She's like, I literally drowned, my feet bled, I didn't eat for days, and yeah. I still got here after walking like 100 miles. 
she has yeah. an amazing story. I think that she care. I I think that Cynthia Arrivo's acting and singing is really what carries this picture because I think that the um, actual movie movie itself, uh, yeah, it, it it got a little flat after a while. Yeah, and I I agree with you. She was fabulous in it, and she had an am- amazing singing voice. Wow, I mean, mm-hmm. th- I loved all of that bit. Um, and and I she could do the emotion. Uh, you know, I totally believed in her, and I totally believed in her character. I just felt the kind of movie let her down. If that makes any sense, she was fa- so. she was fabulous, but I don't think the rest of it was at her level. Um. I- I when, think so too. I think that's a great way of putting it. I agree with you. When she returned home and her husband had remarried because he hadn't heard from her for a year. <laughs> like, oh, uh, I know. And her emotion and how she handled that because she fully believed I'll go back and, and I'll get my husband and rescue him and bring him to Pennsylvania. And she arrives and he's like, oh no, I'm, I've remarried. I haven't heard from you for a year. I was and like, she's pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> the fucking cheek of him. Um. But- <laughs> She's like, it's been like nine months. She's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. really? <laughs> oh, you know, so I thought she was great. I actually think she was the best part of the movie and really mm-hmm. kind of the only part. I kind of feel they were fitting everything in around her. I think that is the best way of putting it where you're saying that she was at a different level than everyone else. I I have to, I think I have to agree with you because I think that uh, this movie was only nominated for the two things and it was both of her being her, nominated. Yeah. So it, that makes sense to me. I also wrote down, yeah, the, the husband and she goes back and he's like, Oh no, like I'm, I have a wife now and she's pregnant and she's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like <laughs> I loved that scene. That was really, really, really well acted. Um, I think, um, historically speaking, I mean, this has nothing to do with the the movie, but she was called Moses, the one that, you know, would snatch up the slaves and stuff like that, calling her Moses. I think that's so funny historically that, you know, she was called Moses. And it just goes to show you how history repeats itself, how they regard Moses as a bad guy because he's this Moses character is stealing their slaves, you know. But it literally goes against the word of their own Bible because Moses was a good guy. Yeah. But they're refer. It's like, oh my god, the hypocrisy and the stupidity, and like just watching these fucking movies and just seeing like what happened during this time, and it's like, oh my, like you're just disgusted with human nature. Just thinking like, oh yeah, like we all like in the 19th century, 18th century, like going back so far, we all thought that this shit was okay, and you're just like, what the. F- fuck like what the fuck like a dark moment in history you know and watching these movies it's it's gross it's gross because it's like we did that and it's just so fucked up oh yeah i mean the history of the whole thing is a disgrace and it was awful and absolutely was fucked up um and and that's what's so compelling so i kind of had higher hopes for the movie cynthia didn't let me down but the movie did yeah I, I didn't really realize, though, how much of, like, a superhero this Harriet Tubman was. Like, it's kind of crazy. Like, apparently she was a gun-wielding superhero. Yeah. Like, she really was. Yeah, and my kids, I mean, I had never heard of Harriet Tubman. We'd been in Canada nine years. In Ireland, you, you learn different history. You learn world history, but a lot of European stuff. So you don't get a lot of North American or American history. So when we came here, they started learning about... Harriet Tubman and each of them as they've gone through grade six or grade seven are all about Harriet Tubman. So she, mm. we had loads of conversations about her in our house, which is wonderful for my kids to get this 
education. And when the movie came out, I was like, God, I better watch this and see what they're talking about. <laughs> well, it's, I would say, cause I, I do agree with you. I think the acting is really where you would single out, you know, the kind of accolade or, or recognition for this movie. Uh, because the movie itself is kind of, uh, uh, it's not bad, but, uh, and then I kind of feel the same way about the movie Judy, where it's like, you look at Renee Zellweger's acting and you're like, obviously, but then like you look at the movie and you're like, uh, it's not a, it's not really that great of a movie, but like, you know, the acting is incredible. Yeah. Um. Okay. Do you have anything else that you would like to add before we move on? No, I don't. <laughs> okay. Let us talk about... <laughs> Scarlett Johansson in A Marriage Story. So this was very interesting for me because I remember when Scarlett Johansson got nominated for A Marriage Story. Um, this is a movie that's written by Noah Baumbach, and he was also nominated for The Squid and the Whale in 2006. He, uh, with these types of movies, um, I sometimes have a hard time getting into because it's like a human relationship story, which is very similar to what Woody Allen used to do back yes. in the 70s. And I'm not really a fan of Woody Allen movies for more than one reason. But when Scarlett Johansson was nominated for this movie, um, this was her first nomination, uh, actually, but even though she had two, because she was also nominated for a supporting role for Jojo Rabbit at the same year. But it was interesting because she was very overdue for an Oscar nomination, either for Lost in Translation or The Girl with the Pearl Earring or whatever. But the point is, is that she was really overdue. And when she was nominated for I was very happy to see. So I watched it on Netflix. And I think I got about 40 minutes into this movie. And I was like, oh, my God, kill me. I hate <laughs> movies about actors. I cannot stand musical theater people. I cannot stand like actor. I mean, I have such an appreciation for their craft and their talent. I love watching their performance. But I mean, I don't like watching movies about actors. I just don't. I find it just because actors, the whole thing with actors is that most actors don't even know who they are as people yeah. and they become other people. They're like chameleons. So I find stories about actors um, very disingenuous. I find it very like, because I'm a very cynical person as a comic, obviously. I like watching stories about like, specific characters and specific personalities yeah. and stuff like that. So I don't really care about stories about actors. And that's why I only got like about 30, 40 minutes into this movie, because that at the beginning is really what it's about. But if you actually watch the whole thing, it's not. And I didn't know that. But I, you know, it took me, you know, more than 40 minutes to realize that. But I did turn this movie off the first time that I watched it. I'm glad that I finished it this time. I actually did enjoy this movie the second time around. And I this movie did uh, really have my attention and I enjoyed it. What did you think of this movie? <laughs> Let me tell you, as you know, I am a divorced woman. Yes, I'm very curious what your take on this is going to be. <laughs> Holy shit. And it was very real. Mm. very real of when you are you're married to somebody they are a huge part of your life mm. uh, you know every single thing what they eat what they need they know the same about you they know all of your you know traits and everything and you love them and you share a life with them and you have children with them and then further down the line things may not go as planned mm -hmm. and you separate and and for me the realest part of this movie was how they loved each other and cared for each other, but mm -hmm. through wanting to have a divorce, 
you have to turn on the other person and you're not, ne- yeah. you don't necessarily want to turn on the other person. You didn't mm-hmm. marry somebody that was evil. It's not an enemy, but mm-hmm. the court system and the lawyers make it like that. Lawyers are vicious. And even mm-hmm. my, when I was uh, getting divorced, I was being accused of outrageous things by his lawyer. And I was looking at him the exact same. She was looking at her husband going, are you fucking serious saying this right yeah, now? <laughs> are you serious? And so I thought it was so real mm-hmm. for someone who's been through the process and been through the courts and been through having to get lawyers and, and separate and divorce someone that you truly loved and thought you would be with for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. I found the movie very moving, uh, mm-hmm. very real Yes, mm-hmm. the beginning about her career. I couldn't have given a shite about that. <laughs> Where it came down to me was I loved it when they were having the lawyer discussions and the lawyers are cutthroat into each other. And the the two people who are divorcing, you've got the wife and the husband. So, uh, you know, Scarlett and Adam Driver. Isn't Adam Driver? Yeah, yeah. So they're sitting around a mediation table with their lawyers. The lawyers are pulling out the big guns, accusing each other of everything. And the the wife and the husband are heartbroken and humiliated and you're sitting there and people are trashing your relationship and your per, mm. your persona in, just in a room and you're going what the fuck and then what I thought was amazing was then the lawyer's assistant was like okay who wants to order lunch and then they all snap into oh yeah we're all friends <laughs> this is normal we just are you know we all work together and and we are work acquaintances and we're really friendly to each other but when they're in the ring dueling it out for the divorce it's just it was i thought they captured it perfectly well i'm glad to hear you say that and i'm saddened to hear that at the same time because um so this was actually based in large on noah Baumbach's own divorce with jennifer jason lee in 2013 he actually went to divorce lawyers when he was writing the script and he basically gave the backstory of Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver's characters. And he basically was like, how would the divorce lawyers make this seem in court? What would they do? What would they say? So I love that you're saying that this is very realistic. I mean, he was nominated for um, best original screenplay or maybe it was adapted. I'm not sure. But anyway, I'm assuming this is original if it's based on his life. But um, this was uh something that i really there were so many ups and downs and i love excuse me that you just said that um you have to turn on them in a way you have to sort of pick a a side and you have to argue your side and that the divorce lawyers make it seem so evil and and because I, i grew up in the 90s and in the 90s like getting like parents getting divorced was like that season's must have like it was just everybody was getting divorced and um that's like that that's how i grew up and so you know i'm very familiar with the children's story of um like my parents are still together but a lot of my friends uh their parents were divorced and so it's like i'm very familiar with the child's perspective and 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 how that affected the child and stuff like that and how um what does she say at one point she's like he's going through a mommy phase yeah and it's like the kid kind of and maybe the parent does this intentionally or unintentionally but kind of you know, says things that make that will discredit the other parents. So then maybe the kid will start picking uh, the side of uh, the other parent and stuff like that. And I really liked how honest and realistic um, the characters were. I mean, talking about Scarlett Johansson 
you know, specifically, it's like you really see her going along with whatever her husband wants or needs. And then she when she moves to California, that's her protesting because she's choosing um, for herself for once what she wants and what she needs. And that's why she becomes a little bit hostile toward Adam Driver and um, and the whole experience. And it doesn't help that Laura Dern, the lawyer who Laura Dern won the Oscar for this movie for a supporting role, is like really kind of. Not like the devil on her shoulder. That's not the right way of saying it, but just sort of like that little voice where she's like, you deserve so much better. He's an asshole. Don't listen to his tricks. Don't get sucked back into yeah. it. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I should. I Like, you're right. You're right. And so um, you really see Scarlett Johansson go from one to the other. And then she kind of gets somewhere in the middle near the end. Yeah, I, totally. And and when she moved to California and, and even in the movie, I don't know whether you noticed this, but as the scenes went on, her clothes were getting brighter. She Mm -hmm. was starting to look better. She was coming into her own. Not that she had a massive transformation, but when Mm -hmm. she was in New York, she was kind of under him in his shadow. And then she kind of stepped into the light, going to California and starting her own life. Um, Mm -hmm. Laura Dern was, let me tell you, do you know who should have won an Oscar? (laughs) Laura Dern's jeans. Yeah. <laughs> Holy God. Were they too tight? <laughs> well, I'm telling you, I nearly was a lesbian after watching those scenes. She looks amazing. She, yeah, she she really does look amazing. But she actually, if I mean, do you watch Big Little Lies? No. Oh, yeah. yeah. She looked. Do I? Yeah, she basically is like very so similar much. in that. <laughs> yeah. Um, she was so she was fantastic in it. Uh, but I loved her conversations with um when she was talking to Scarlett. So the mm-hmm. character Nicole. Um, and it was so realistic because I've been through it. I've been through lawyers saying to me, okay, so you need to prepare for the worst because when you get into court, he is going to accuse you of everything so that he doesn't have to pay you. Um, and I was, you know what I mean? And I was like, wow. holy shit. Like, I know, like, oh no, my kids are in the But way. did you have to go back like on the defense? Like, did you have to be like, oh yeah, well then yeah. Uh, you're like, ma, 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 ma. It's unbelievable, but the lawyers because they have seen it all and heard it all a million times. Like my lawyer said to me, this is what's going to happen. He's going to say this, this, and this, it is classic. Every single man who the mom has been, cause I was, I worked until my youngest guy was like one, one or two. And then it was cheaper for us, for me to stay at home as the mom. Um, okay. And so that's the choice we made as a family. But then in court, I was being accused of not wanting to work. And I wanted to stay at wow. home. And then I was accused um, of, he was, I, I know my kids are, they're downstairs eating cookies. <laughs> I'm like, don't listen to mommy. Um, then he they actually accused me of abuse. And I'm like, oh are you God. fucking serious? So he like, and I, he knows I'm a good mom, but the divorce lawyers come out guns blazing. And the funny thing Jesus. was, I have to say in court in front of a judge, so he was they were accusing me of abuse and i was like hang on you're accusing me of abuse you have never once come to rescue the kids and also (laughs) you have asked for less time and he was like well i want 50 percent of the time now and i stopped everything and i turned to the lawyers and the judge and i was like um just let me get this straight what sort of a man is cool with his kids being abused just 50 percent of the time yeah (laughs) 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 that's incredible good for you and kyle 
I don't know even where those words came from in me to say it at that moment. I was in such shock, but I... You're in comedy mode because you're like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, and, and I said to him, if I thought you were abusing the kids, you wouldn't see them. I wouldn't be like, okay, it's your weekend with them. I need a break. Oh. <laughs> so, but, but the reality of it is the lawyers are out to win every single fucking case. They don't care about the person behind the case. They want to have another win on their sheet. Well, that's kind of what Laura Dern says, because whenever um, Ray Liotta is replacing Alan Alda, which, by the way, lol at Alan Alda. um, (laughs) He was hilarious. Yeah, he was funny. I love when he's telling that joke that's going nowhere. And then Adam Driver's like, am I paying you for this? I'm like, oh, my God, thank you. (laughs) I thought that was brilliant. But whenever they're at the, the... the courthouse and then you know Ray Liotta is there and he's like the vicious yeah. lawyer Laura Dern's like okay everything that we agreed to is off the table and now it's going to get violent and this is what they want yes and um it that's what it became it literally became like a petty back and forth of extremely critical tiny things being blown out of proportion and character assassinations yeah. and you know she had one glass of wine and she missed one step on the stairs therefore she's an alcoholic yeah like i got all um, of that it's so true it's so true oh my god well i think my favorite scarlett johansson moment in this movie because she was very very good in this movie her eyes were just like red from crying the whole movie but the um scene where adam driver and she fight yeah and they have that big climactic fight in his apartment and you know he punches the wall that scene, I think, was like, I mean, again, not somebody going through a divorce, but somebody who has been, I've been in a lot of long-term relationships that all ended, uh, except for the one that I'm in right now, um, to my little <laughs> Irish potato. But literally, like, whenever um, we would get into these fights, whenever it's like, okay, this is it, and this is the big climax of everything, you know, that felt extremely real to me. But I have to say, that fight scene... Uh, was entirely scripted and they had to do it in 50 takes but every time that they did it they had to do it in one take and then they would have to start all over again uh, all over again which explains why her eyes were like probably just red like beet red you know um but she just it wasn't it wasn't even acting it was like that was the character that was what she was arguing that was her point of view Mm -hmm. that was her that was her argument. It wasn't acting anymore. It was like I was watching a real person. Yeah, I felt that too. I felt the fight. I, I was actually watching it. And for a second, I came out of it going, this is like an actual real fight two people are having. Like I was so into it mm-hmm. that I, that I nope, had to kind of remember that they're actors. Exactly. I know. Um, I also love slash hate whenever like you're saying whenever she's like they're you know and they're uh they're like arguing and like i want this i want this blah blah blah, and then you and then you and then they're like okay great let's break for lunch like blah 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 i love that but then whenever everyone's you know looking at the menu of what they want to order and then adam driver like he can't decide and he doesn't know what he wants and he doesn't know what he likes and he's so indecisive and then scarlett johansson knows this about him so she takes the menu out of his hand and then she picks out like what he would like yeah i like love hate that because it's just sort of like he still needs her yeah, and she enjoys sort of, you know, kind of taking care of him. But then like you love that, but then you also like hate that at the same time. I, I totally. And I think even when she tied his lace in the last scene, so he wouldn't yeah. fall, he, she was 
like a mother figure to him that he just took for granted. I'm married to you now. You can be my mother figure and I'm taking you for granted and you just do everything for me. And but isn't that's that all straight men? But isn't yes. that all straight men? Oh, to, yes. I have so many straight couple friends in my life. And I just, I always notice a very common thing with men is they like to be babied. Oh, listen to you. Listen, let, I'm like, go ahead and preach there, Kyle. I swear <laughs> to fucking God, as a woman who was only ever dated, well, I think straight men, all, all my life, you have the men, you know, treating you like, oh, you're the old chain and ball. Oh, oh, I have to do what she says. Oh, she's the right. one that runs the house, blah, 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 blah. And they treat you like this in front of their friends, like you're a hassle, like you're annoying, you, you know. This is well, this was one of my relationships, but then you know, fast forward two hours later, you're in bed and they're sucking on your tit and crying <laughs> and begging, and you're you, burping them, I'm begging you to spank them. You know what I mean? <laughs> they all turn into fucking babies and then they cry. I'm like, fuck off. Yeah, I, I totally see that journey for <laughs> I totally see that journey for straight men, absolutely. It's very <laughs> common. Um, but no, Scarlett Johansson was, um truly deserved this Oscar nomination. It, it felt like such a real person. Yeah. It didn't feel like a movie. It didn't feel like a character. It felt extremely real. I mean, there were um, a couple things that I didn't like, and I've talked about this before previously on the podcast, but I fucking hate where there is some therapy or group therapy scene and the character is so resistant to the process it's yeah. like oh my god i don't even want to be here it's like oh my god you know what would be so groundbreaking is if they were like would you like to share and they're like i would and this is what i would like to share i'd be like hey give them an oscar for best original screenplay because <laughs> yeah. every fucking time there's a therapy scene they're always the main character always has to be so resistant to the whole process it's so annoying to me it's so cliche it is I don't even want to read these notes, but whenever um, the little boy is reading yeah. th her letter, oh. um, which, by the way, why did she have that? I'm <laughs> just lying. I out. know. Why weren't they burnt? Like, why were they yeah. there? <laughs> you know, that that part made me cry. And she came in and it, it shows growth. And she could finally say these things. If it wasn't even coming from her, then it was coming from him. And she let it happen. And I thought yeah. that was a really beautiful moment. I, and... I thought I loved that moment. But I also kind of was questioning what you said. I was like, uh, like, what is there just a pile of letters? Like, are his letters to Santa? <laughs> Sitting there, is he going to read them next? <laughs> yeah. Why we hate daddy. Like, oh, so this is some, let's curl up in bed with this. But um, so Marriage Story was the first streaming film to win an Oscar in acting. Okay. One little fact. Um, Scarlett, I, yeah, anyway, I thought she was so wonderful in this movie and just such fantastic, like, method acting. And um, unless you have anything else that you would like to add, uh, we no, can move on. She totally deserved to be nominated. I thought she was fabulous in this. All right. Let's talk about the movie Bombshell. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> this is based on the real life a dramatic story of Roger Ailes, uh, who's played by John Lithgow. And I love John Lithgow. It was so hard watching him in this, um, you know, about his sexual, he was the president of Fox news mm -hmm. and uh, Rupert Murdoch gave him all this money to make Fox news. And listen, 
I could do a whole podcast about why Fox News is fucking garbage. And I think any LGBTQ person listening to this or any person of color, really, or any Democrat listening to this really would agree with me of how it's basically just uh, it's propaganda. It's like really conservative, problematic rhetoric. I, I could do a whole podcast about that. I'm going to try and just mostly focus on the performances for this. I don't really want to get into that too much because it's just going to piss me off. Okay. So I don't I don't really want to get into that too much. But basically, uh, Roger Ailes was the president of Fox and he um, treated women uh, like Harvey Weinstein, where it's like, you want to get ahead in this business, then you have to suck my dick. Yeah. You want to get ahead in this business, then you have to show me your pussy. You want to get ahead in this business, you have to... Show your legs, be hot, because that's all women are worth. You want to get like, you know. Yeah. So, so, okay. Bombshell is based on the sexual, the true sexual harassment allegations, and they turned out to be true. Um, and the story was a bombshell. And then he had to retire from being the president of um, Fox News. And um, he ended up being paid, what was it, like $65 million in, um, uh, because according to his contract and his bonuses um, in severance, he had to be paid like $65 million, but the settlement to the women that were sexually harassed was only $50 million. So Roger Ailes actually made more money on this deal. So again, I, I feel like we could both have a long conversation about of, yeah. of just about him and Fox news and stuff like that. But let's mostly just focus mm-hmm. on Charlize Theron and or Theron or however it is that you pronounce it and her performance in this movie playing another problematic person that I don't care for Megan Kelly. Yes. Um, as I said earlier, the character Kayla Pospisil was fictitious. That was uh, Margot Robbie, but Gretchen Carlson that Nicole Kidman was playing was real. Meryl Streep convinced Nicole Kidman to play her. I would understand why Nicole Kidman would have um, a lot of hesitance to play a role like this. And even Charlize Theron for that, for that matter, because I actually, um, as a, a very liberal person, I mean, we live, like we live in the greater Toronto area. I'm in downtown Toronto. Toronto is probably one of the most liberal cities in the world. So, if somebody came to me and was like, could you play a Fox News anchor? I'd be like, get fucked. Like, <laughs> no. But it's the reason why they. I feel like the actors took this role was to demonstrate the way that women are treated in the workplace and how, you know, in this specific example, how yeah. fucked up it was. Yeah, absolutely. So have you seen this movie before and what did you think about it? I had seen it before. So this is my second time watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. Um, as like, I thought for what I really enjoyed was, and it's going to sound a bit weird, was the makeup and the hair and the clothes yep. and how they actually transformed Charlize Theron into Megan Kelly. Like sometimes I was yes. looking at it, going, "Am I? Is that actually footage of actual Megan Kelly, or is that Charlize?" Like I thought that was done perfectly. Well, Charlize Theron actually coaxed. Kazu Hiro out of retirement for this film um, to do the makeup and hair and stuff like that and he actually won his second Oscar for that okay. and he had previously won for The Darkest Hour um, a, a year or two before okay so so I thought that that was like I was kind of mesmerized in the movie by all of that um, absolutely and I thought her voice and her acting and, and having to play this complete corporate bitch um <laughs> I was she was great i thought she was really good in this role um and i wasn't mad about nicole kidman's role and margot robbie was 
seemed to be a bit of fluff, but that's what she was supposed to be. Um, right. And Roger Ailes, John Lithgow was amazing as him. Fabulous yeah. acting. Um, but Charlize, I was mesmerized by this. I just thought she, she kind of reminded me of the way like Daniel Day-Lewis becomes the character for the movie. Yeah. I felt right. like Charlize was doing that with this movie. Method, I method com- acting. I completely, completely agree with you. She even had that like, lady broadcaster deep voice that like oprah has yeah you know where they're like hi thank you so much for tuning in tonight's story and they have that like really intense like mature like it's like the like lady broadcaster like it's the oprah voice yes it's like are you ready for christmas like it's that sort of like deep (laughs) mature voice and i i actually so um so uh um we 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 you and I both know a uh, a broadcaster for CP for CP uh, Jennifer Shung yes for CP twenty four news and she I asked her because she doesn't talk she doesn't talk like that you know she doesn't have that voice but when I see her on the news she has that voice and so I messaged her and I was like so like did they ask you to do that and she's like kind of yeah. <laughs> I was like I it's a thing and I, I think that Charlize because she even she even had a bit of that accent where she kind of was like talking like a bit like you know where it's like I order my stuff online that's sort of Ohio yes mid-America going. yeah yeah sort of accent there where she's talking like that a little bit and she but it was it was deep down here so it was like are you kidding me right now like she had the accent down perfectly she had the mannerisms down perfectly and like you're saying the makeup I feel like it, what I feel like the makeup on her nose, I because I think her nose is just a little bit not that she had a big nose, but like a little bit smaller. I think that there was like a little bit added to her nose to make it look more like Megan Kelly. But yeah, the transformation was insane. Yeah, she was fat. Like I, I was. She's the best part of the whole thing. I agree with you. I actually, you know, I obviously Nicole Kidman, of course, knocks it out of the park because it's no Nicole Kidman. But I don't know if I found her story as interesting even though it was based on true events I, d- um, I don't think they gave her enough time yeah maybe that was it because i know that margot robbie got nominated for a supporting role for um this movie but um john lithgow you know probably should have been nominated yes. for but the problem was that he was too much of an asshole like he was it was too good you know yes. what i mean yeah like it was like oh i hate you but well, um i think roger ailes would have taken that as a win <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably um you know, it's annoying because, okay, okay, this, okay, watching this type of movie, you know, it's like this, this type of behavior um, affects you and then you're outraged, which you should be. Um, but then, uh, like, I don't know, there, there's just something where it's like, I, I don't, I don't even know really how to say this without it sounding like horrible, but it's just sort of like. Megan Kelly is known to say so many racist, homophobic, problematic things that affect people negatively and their lives and perpetuate like horrible rhetoric that make people feel horrible about themselves and to sort of see her in this shitty situation. It doesn't make her any less of a victim because these things should not happen to anybody. But it's like, I okay, I'm probably going to get canceled for this. <laughs> Go but it's ahead. Like, I just don't I just don't really have that much sympathy for her. Okay. I know. I know how fucked up that is. To, but it's just literally like, I don't like Megyn Kelly. I don't like her as a person. So for me, it's like, I'm sorry this happened to you. This should not have happened to you. It is fucked up. It is fucked up. I'm not saying it's not fucked up. But it's like, I think you're a shitty person, Megyn Kelly. So it's just sort of like, I'm sorry that happened to you. But like, I don't, 
Yeah. I don't really care. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I just, what am I trying to say here? It's I, just. I know where you're coming from. It, it, it's, she grew up and in that culture, she knew what was going on, you know, and yeah. had a successful career. People turned blind eyes. A kind of, um, now the morning show with Jennifer Aniston. I don't know if you watched that with Reese Witherspoon and, and Jennifer Aniston's show on Apple. Oh, no, I haven't. No, I haven't you seen have that. To I thought it was a real show. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> I know what you're talking about, but I yeah. I blanked. I was like, oh, like so, she has a daytime talk show. So watch, <laughs> watch that. It's kind of the culture of a broadcasting station. And it's, okay. and it's kind of repeated through all of them because it was reminding me of that. Um, listen, Megan Kelly is what she is. She mm-hmm. was in that environment. She would have turned a blind eye to lots of things. Yes, that shouldn't have happened to her. And yes, she had to step forward and say that that did happen to her. And the story in the movie is great to show that. But mm-hmm. It doesn't take away from she can still be an arsehole. Yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. And I think that Shirley Theron really gives the character dignity. And you do have sympathy for um, her character and the situation. Because, you know, she is obviously, um, her character is conflicted because if she goes public with it, Megan Kelly's not going to be affected by it and by the truth, but like her team and her coworkers will. Yes. And they'll be out of a job and they're the ones that are going to be harassed by press and et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, I I think that Charlize Theron really gave the character dignity. I I would assume that Charlize Theron is a a very liberal democratic person. So um, I feel like maybe taking on this kind of role was a bit of a challenge for her, but I think that she did um, Megan Kelly justice. And like you said, the transformation was so believable. And I think that Charlize Theron really deserved the Oscar nomination for this. It's just for even just playing Megan Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Even, even if she had just dressed up as her for Halloween, she deserved an yeah. Oscar for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and um, frankly, I, 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 I don't really have much else that I really want to say about yeah. um, uh, that. I really want to say about it. I, I'll just say that I thought that she was fantastic, great acting, great method acting, uh, believable looks and prosthetics and makeup, and uh, she knocked it out of the park like Charlize Theron um, always can. Yes, exactly. Uh, okay, let's move on. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about Renee Zellweger in the movie Judy. So. I've seen this movie before. Mm-hmm. Um, Renee Zellweger is um, a fantastic actress. She's very good at accents. I loved her in Bridget Jones's Diary. I liked her in Chicago. I did not care for her in Cold Mountain. That's where the Renaissance came for me. <laughs> uh, but wait for it, Renaissance. I loved her in this movie. How could you not? Um, as a movie itself, I find it a little boring. I think that making it about her 1968-1969 um, slew of performances in London is probably, in my opinion, one of the more least interesting parts of her life yeah. to make a movie about. But um, I'm not a movie producer and we're only going to work with uh, what we got. Mm-hmm. Um, so the movie is about Judy Garland and yeah, just the last couple performances that she did in London because she owed the IRS um, in America $500,000 in taxes and she had to do this show away from her kids um, who were really the only true like loves in her life. Um, in America because they couldn't go with her to London because of 
custody and laws and such. So she did a bunch of shows to sort of make up and recoup some of the um, debt that she had incurred. And there were a lot of problems. I mean, Judy Garland, we all know, had a a lot of mental health issues, addiction problems, um, substance abuse problems. She was suicidal and she often was very difficult to work with because she would just sometimes not show up for rehearsals. Um, She would uh, have moments on stage and... Um, a lot of the things that actually happened on stage in the movie did actually happen. You know, she had people throw garbage at her and uh, because she was an hour and a half late for a show, people were booing her. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what did you think about this movie? I love this movie. Okay. Oh my God. I went to see it when it came out in the cinema. I think I cried from the opening scenes. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know. <laughs> um, and I've watched it three times at home. Um, so I've seen it four times. I, you know, I grew up watching Judy Garland and all of her movies and loved her voice, loved her acting. And I always kind of like to turn a blind eye to her personal life because I didn't really like seeing all of that. So <laughs> this movie was just heart wrenching for me. I thought Renee Zellweger was absent. When I came out of the cinema after seeing it for the first time, I was like, if she doesn't win an Oscar for this Right. I'm going to lose it. Like, I just thought, you know, when you're watching a movie and you go, that is an Oscar winning performance. Yeah. I think that the reviews for this movie when it came out were extremely mixed. But the one thing that was unanimous was that her performance was Oscar worthy. Everybody was like, wow. Because, you know, it's so funny to me how stupid people are when it comes to um, watching an actor who has previously proven themselves so many times and then they kind of disappear for a little bit and then they come back and then people are always shocked how good they are. And they'll be like, wow, like, can you, be- Renee Zellweger, you know, whoa, geez, what happened to her? And look at her now. It's like, she was always still just as talented people. It's just, it depends on the picture. It depends on the director. It depends on the writing. Yeah. Like they're always going to be able to give you that A plus performance. It's just that it just might not be the right, role or the right timing of when it's released. I mean, Meryl Streep is Meryl Streep, but she's not always going to win an Oscar because not every performance is going to speak to people like Kramer versus Kramer or Sophie's Choice or, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it's, it is, it, it just always, I, I always get annoyed whenever people are surprised at how talented people are. Like for a while, that was Lady Gaga. Like every time Lady Gaga would do like a Super Bowl halftime show or release an album or be in a movie, everybody would be like, oh my God, I'm so surprised how good she is. It's like, oh my God, like fuck off. She has proven herself. Yes. Maybe because like we're performers. So maybe I'm a little bit more sensitive to that, but. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so uh, the makeup. So uh, Jeremy Woodhead prosthetically extended the tip of Renee Zellweger's nose to make her look more realistic, to make the makeup more realistic. If you actually look at photos of Renee Zellweger, of Renee Zellweger, of Judy Garland from this time, this is really what Judy Garland looked like. It's yes. extremely accurate. Um this movie was actually originally uh, going to be a biopic that was planned in 2009 that was going to be starring Anne Hathaway, uh, but it was never produced. And it was about Judy Garland's experiences of sexual harassment and abuse by Louis B. Mayer, which, by the way, I did not know about that. And um, other executives yeah. um, from MGM yeah. that did this. But ironically, the film was going to be produced by Harvey Weinstein. Oh, Wow. Uh, Liza Minnelli did not approve of this movie. She has never seen it and she never will. Okay. 
I'm not, which, su- I'm not fucking surprised. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think I'd want to see a movie about my mom near the end of her days either. That I would... know, but like my kids don't even want to know that I, I've ever had sex apart from having them. So I can understand <laughs> where Liza Minnelli is coming from. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so let's talk about Renee Zellweger in this movie. Like she just was Judy. I don't even know really specifically how to be like, um, her life was just so sad and you could tell that she was carrying the weight of the trauma of her life and how she doesn't like to see herself as a victim, even though she truly was a victim of the studio system. Mm -hmm. Um, When you watch a type of role like this, you worry that, um, you know, uh, it, it, it's going to turn into caricature yeah. and you're, you, you worry that it's going to be a bit campy, you know, like whenever, uh, Faye Dunaway did Joan Crawford in mommy dearest, for example. And, you know, and you, you really want it to be reeled in and Renee Zellweger, uh, brought such, um, dignity to the role and gave dignity to Judy's character. And you felt so much sympathy for her, even when Judy was, being really selfish and difficult and not wanting to do something. It's like as an audience member, you're watching and you're like, no, like you're in a really shitty situation and you're trapped and you're stuck in it and you were born into it and you can't escape it. And it's like, even when she's just late and she's refusing to rehearse, it's like you as the audience member, you're like, yeah, like I get it. And I think to be able to, to act and portray that type of sympathy, I think that that's, very difficult and i think renee zellweger knocked it out of the park oh i thought she was just fantastic and i I was just like you know judy garland was a complete product of mgm and it was nearly like there wasn't another judy garland it was like it was hard for her to carve out a personal judy garland because she had been brainwashed and abused by mgm all her bloody Mm -hmm. life she knew nothing else and i just thought where renee was so amazing was the love, you could see the love that she had for her children, but she was also in conflict with the love she had for performing. She is just a performer through and through. And she would hit the stage and click, well, you know, into it. Even even when she was giving back abuse or people were heckling her on stage, she was still in performance mode and it was like you just had to switch buttons on her okay you're off stage okay you're on stage okay and she played all of that so amazingly and then battling these addictions which she kind of surrendered to you could see okay Mm -hmm. through the movie she knew i'm an addict um and this is my lot in life and so she was juggling motherhood addictions and performance and it Mm -hmm. was just done amazing she was amazing i loved it can i just say her i had to google what age judy was when when she passed away so she was 40 47 so i'm watching the movie going holy shit she looks haggard (laughs) right and then i was like how old is she she couldn't possibly be near my age right (laughs) and then i googled and i went oh fuck (laughs) so i was like well please tell me like she had you know obviously she'd been on an alcoholic and um, drug use and, you know, she, and diet and not looking after herself. Obviously, oh, she, well. she looked older for her age, um, you know, because I was like, please don't tell me that's what 47-year-olds look like. 
<laughs> no, but like you have to remember that like she came from a time where it's like you didn't wear a sunblock. You put yeah. cooking oil on your skin when you went into the sun or like whenever you were like having a toothache, it's like have some whiskey, yes. honey, it makes you feel better. <laughs> and like literally everybody was at like a Courtney Love level of drunk every day. Yeah. The expression one for the road uh, was from like the 50s where it was like you had a beer while you were driving home. Like people were like fucking shittered from like the 40s. <laughs> 50s and 60s like if you've ever seen Mad Men the show is just one giant cup of whiskey like it is just <laughs> constantly pounding liquor and cigarettes and like everybody back in the day like you know um everyone's eyeballs color was like smoker's tooth like everything was just <laughs> yeah you know and don't you remember because like I had grandparents from you know like a lot and they were they smoked like a chimney but like back in the 70s and the 60s and stuff it's like if you ever went to their your grandparents house and you took off like the the like a picture frame from the wall it's like the whole wall would be like yellow yes. from the smoke stains yeah. and then you'd have the shape of the like, I remember that from my childhood in the 90s. So it's just like Judy Garland at like 47 probably looked like she was in her mid to late 60s. Yeah, because I was looking at her going, how old was she when she died? I thought she was kind of young. And then so forth. And I was like, whatever. Because Renia Zellweger doesn't look like that. But she also, no. she also doesn't hide her age either. But whoever, mm -hmm. you said whoever did her makeup and, and um, the hair. and the Jeremy Woodhead. Amazing job. Oh my yeah. God. Even yeah. her, down to her teeth and as you say, her eyeballs and, and even the amount of hair on her head, you could see kind of, it was kind of, her hair had a lot of height, but it was kind of, it wasn't that thick down near the roots, you know, <laughs> just amazing. I thought he did a fabulous job. I thought that the worst hair of all of these nominees was fucking Scarlett Johansson with her Dennis the Menace haircut. Oh God. I couldn't the whole movie. I was like, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. What is going on with well, this hair? I watched her in that movie and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like hide the scissors. Like what is <laughs> happening? Uh, another um, a compliment to Renee Zellweger's performance, the mannerisms and the physical acting of not only whenever she was uh, just talking or even when she was performing, it was so spot on. That is exactly what Judy looked like and how she did the thing with her eyes and her hands and the way that she would move her hips and the way she would move forward. And if she would bounce back and pivot on her her legs and stuff like that, she did it very accurately. Yeah. And um, it's it's it, it didn't look like an impression. It, it felt very, very real. Um, I do think that for me, the most heartbreaking scene is when she calls Lorna, her daughter, oh. and she gives her permit. She gives permission to her daughter to say that it's okay to stay with her father and to live with him. Yeah. And then she says, yes, I would like to stay with him. And then she has to accept that as the answer. And like, oh my God. Yeah. That, that, was, that was sad. That was really sad. And, and, and you could see the love for the children. Oh my God. I mean, she adored her kids. But she was this product of old Hollywood and she had to keep on going. You know, you could get all that. I think that this was definitely a personal choice on Renee Zellweger's part. I don't really know how I feel about her singing her own songs because she she did a good job. Um, but, you know, she's not Judy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. Like she was Judy. But if she would have, it, it didn't hurt the movie at all. I, I, I don't think so. But uh, just for me personally, I think I would have liked if she would have lip synced Judy's songs yeah uh that's just she didn't do a bad job there was no bad singing don't come for me renaissance yeah literally just but it wasn't judy i, I wouldn't have it wasn't judy yeah. and i just that was like my one little thing it's just obviously renee zilberger did such a good job she did vocal training for like a year and a half and yeah. she really 
she really did a good job, but I just, it's not Judy. I personally would have lip synced. That would, that was, that would have been my choice, but you know, other, otherwise flawless. Yeah. Amazing. And that last scene when she asks Lonnie Anderson, can she go out and and sing and say goodbye to them? And then when she sits down and just the opening bars on the piano of rainbow, for me, yeah. I, well, I've seen it four times, so I know as soon as yeah. that starts, the fucking <laughs> tears are just shooting out of my eyes. And wow. that moment, and then when the audience sings back at her, um, and you're just like, oh my God, just yeah. amazing. That happened, by the way. Amazing. That actually happened. Now, were those two guys real? No. So okay. that was the one fabrication. I think that it was to sort of give a wink and a nod to the gay community because they I mean, you know, she's like a gay icon, you know, of course. And uh, I think that that whenever like, you know, they go back to uh, the gay guy's apartment and uh, she's eating eggs. And, um, you know, I cried at that part whenever she kind of is like the world hates people that are different and yeah you know that that's a nice little moment and to acknowledge like her gay like you can't have a judy movie without a couple of queens you know you gotta (laughs) gotta get them in there i wanted them to be real so much i loved it i wanted them to be real characters from her story yeah well obviously i'm sure she probably i mean her her husband was gay (laughs) like you know she i'm sure she had a very strong relationship with a lot of gay men but literally i didn't i think her father was even gay like there was a lot of gayness in her family i um, mean she's do you know what i have to go back on saying how her looking that old of 47 she'd five fucking husbands i know that would age anybody (laughs) oh i know and three kids, so that's just yeah. and again pounding liquor, pounding liquor, pounding yeah. pills, pounding pills, not sleeping oh, ever. Oh God! Yeah, I could so, feel I, that frustration with her. I was like, Oh Jesus Christ! Because during the <laughs> pandemic, I think we all had a bit of that. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> um. Okay. Well, do you have anything else that you would like to add? Um, I loved it, and I will probably watch this movie twice a year for the rest of my life. That is Brooklyn for me. It's like once a month. <laughs> <laughs> Brooklyn, right? I know. <laughs> we'll do a sequel. We'll call it Toronto. There you go. Yes. Um, okay. So the time has come. So you are my guest. So please uh, tell us who you think the Oscar should have gone to. I think the Oscar should have gone to... Renee Zellweger. <laughs> okay. Why? Because she was amazing as Judy Garland. And I thought she was so fabulous and I really enjoyed the whole performance from beginning to end. Fabulous. Love it. Love it. Okay. Uh, I will go ahead and say who I think should have won. So I think that the Oscar should have gone to... Renee Zellweger for the movie Judy. Um, (laughs) I have redeemed myself, Renaissance, and I... Uh, or at least I hope that I have in in their eyes because um, I mean, come on, it's a Fritz Bernays. It's no question. Like she had to win this Oscar. It is a flawless performance in terms of a movie. Again, I don't think that this is the most interesting part of her life to make a movie about. However, um, just in terms of her performance, because that is what we are talking about. Um, it was so well done and um, just absolutely flawless. And, uh, you know, I think, I was also finding it kind of interesting how Renee Zellweger kind of came back from uh, being on like a bit of a hiatus from the limelight. And I did some reading about that. She actually uh, kind of 
took a hiatus from her career. She kind of walked away from acting because she was so criticized about his her personal life and her professional life. And she just really didn't it didn't bring her happiness anymore. She was working a work schedule that was unrealistic for her or any human being. And she just was like, you know, this this career doesn't bring me happiness anymore. And so that's kind of why Renee Zellweger kind of not like fell off the map, but you didn't really see her in movies anymore because mm-hmm. she obviously you remember she was a big fucking star like in the 2000s. And then, you know, she kind of just decided that it wasn't it bringing her joy. And so she she walked away and then boy, did she ever come back, you know, with a comeback. And um, I think that she's so talented and I think that she was the right choice for the role. And I think that she really did Judy Garland justice. And that's coming from a gay man. So this is high praise. <laughs> Um, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much, uh, Fiona O'Brien for being, uh, a guest on our show. We always love having you. We definitely have to have you back again. Where can people find you on social media? Um, thank you for having me. I love doing the show. Um, you can find me on Twitter at real Fiona O and on Instagram at real Fiona O or on Facebook, Fiona O'Brien. And, uh, I'll put up any shows I'm doing. I put it all up there. I do have a Perfect. I do have a website fionobrien.ca but I'm really shit at updating. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Okay, well thank you guys so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review, rate us on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen to this podcast and let us know what you think. Uh thank you guys so much and we'll definitely see you next time. Bye.